You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from me as I continue our series on Hosea called Redeeming Love. Hosea chapter 4, we're going to continue our series here on redeeming love. Talking today about Israel's unfaithfulness and what we can learn about not only the problems that Israel had, but also the love and goodness that God has. So we begin here in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priest, because you have ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice to the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terabirth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. Sorry, I think I have the same slide here. I will, I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves can consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you, Israel, commit adultery, do not let Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal, do not go to Beth-Avon, and do not swear as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they consume their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away, and their sacrifices will bring them shame. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a God of mercy and love and a God of justice as well. And this morning, Lord, as we look at this tough passage of Scripture, we ask that our hearts would be open to hear your word, that we would respond to your your love and your kindness and even your discipline 
when it occurs. Thank you, God, for your nation. Thank you for your everlasting love. Thank you for the stories of love, like the one shared this morning, where we can experience your gentle mercy and kindness and grace. May we respond to it today. Open our hearts and our minds this morning to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) It was my 25th birthday, and I was excited about my 25th birthday because something happens for men. It's that uh, our insurance premiums go down on our driving. <laughs> and I, I was a pretty good driver. I had a, I had a clean record. And so I thought, this is, this is good. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm 25. All right, finally, can save some money. So I'm on the way to work. <laughs> I'm on the way to work. And there's this area that, gets, that got really congested. And people turning in and out and everything. And it's just total chaos. I remember every day driving to work thinking, please don't hit me, please don't hit me, please don't hit me. And I just like, I look right ahead, you know, just focus, you know, kind of like a NASCAR driver when all the smoke and everything and they're going, they're like, I hope there's no crash, I hope I don't hit anything. And I'm just, and I just go. So I get through the intersection, like a typical morning, and I'm about a mile down the road and I see red and blue lights. And I thought, what in the world? So I, I pull over and the officer comes by and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? And I, I said, I don't think I was speeding. And he said, I pulled you over because you passed a school bus that was stopped and had red, its red lights flashing. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, where was this? And he said, oh, you know, and he described the area. It was the same area where you're like, please don't come out in front of me. Please don't come out in front of me. It was just this terrible place to have a bus stop anyways, and, um, which the officer even admitted to. And he said... Um, and I, I said, well, I was like, are you sure? And he's like, the, the driver even honked at you. I said, I have my radio off. I didn't hear anyone honk at me. I still think he got the wrong person, but touche, right? <laughs> so I, um, so I, I said, well, you know, I, um, I said, I'm really sorry. I mean, I work for a school, and I, I, I feel terrible that I passed the school bus. I should know better. And... Um, and he said, I said, well, I deserve whatever you, you give me. And he said, no, 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 here's the thing. Because I'm going to give you a ticket, and it's $550, and it's three points on your license. He said, you want to go to court, because the judge will probably look at your clean record, and he'll probably have mercy on you. And I thought, so much for my insurance premiums going down. <laughs> so I didn't pay the fine, and I waited for my day in court, and I got a letter from the state that looked somewhat like this one. And there, I mean, not quite as serious, but on the top, <laughs> on the top, it said, the state of Maryland versus Justin Hibbard. And I thought, what did I do to the state of Maryland? <laughs> I was like, why isn't it me versus the cop or me versus this bus driver or whatever? Why is it the state of Maryland? Well, in this, uh, in this series on redeeming love, on the book of Hosea, we've looked at how God has tried to get Israel's attention. And he's gotten it in a number of different ways, he's, or he's tried to. He's tried a number of different efforts. He gives them a prophet named Hosea, tells Hosea to marry an adulterous wife named Gomer, to have children with them, and then the children will be assigned, and her unfaithfulness would be like Israel, and Hosea would be able to express what it's like to love someone and have them kind of running wild. We saw that... God tries to negotiate with Israel. We saw that God 
sweet-talks Israel. We even saw through Hosea, when Hosea goes to buy back Gomer, to get her back from one of the guys she's with, how he, he offers to pay for her. And we see God's redemption in that. But today we see something different. We see God take another, another way, another try at trying to get Israel, but this time it's not so sweet. God becomes the judge and the prosecutor and brings the indictment against Israel. In verse 1 of chapter 4, we read this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. That is the indictment. If we were to look at a piece of paper with this, it would be something like this. The kingdom of heaven versus the northern kingdom of Israel. And the indictment is simply and profoundly this. Failure to love God. You see, the way that our justice system works is that we don't just, it's not just us versus one party unless it's a civil suit. When it's a crime, it is the state, or in some cases, it's the entire nation against us. In this case, it's the entire kingdom of heaven versus the northern kingdom of Israel. This is the charge, a failure to love God. What's important to realize is that there's a lot of things in this passage. There's a lot of things that Israel did wrong, but primarily Israel's unfaithfulness, which is the focus of today, Israel's unfaithfulness was primarily a failure to love God. At the very core, that's what it was. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets rest on these two. In other words, out of all the 613 laws that Jesus could have quoted from, he quotes from the center, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that don't bother, you're not going to be able to keep the other laws If you can't love God, if you don't have a focus of love, then how are you possibly going to follow the other 613 laws? The truth is, is that the root cause of sin, at the very core of sin, if we were to look deep down, the the epidemic of sin is really a failure to love God more than anything else. Israel's unfaithfulness was characterized by idolatry. By idolatry. We saw there that, and we've talked about this in the past few weeks, that Israel was engaged in a lot of different idolatrous practices. Baal, Ashtoreth, those types of little gods. We, we even see here that God accuses them of consulting a wooden idol. But idolatry is more than just idol worship. It's more than just consulting a piece of wood or plastic or stone or something like that or a statue. I like this quote about idolatry, this definition. Idolatry is the universal human tendency to value something or someone in a way that hinders the love and trust we owe to God. It is an act of theft from God, whereby we use some part of creation in a way that steals from honor due to God. So idolatry is more than just bowing down before a wooden idol. And sometimes the tough part about idolatry is that it's so pervasive, it's so commonplace, that it's even hard to recognize. 
Jonathan Swift wrote a novel uh, many years ago called Gulliver's Travels, which many of you may be familiar with. You might be familiar with the Jack Black version, maybe even better. And, um, and Gulliver's Travels, is a, it's a satire. So one of the scenes, you know, that Gulliver is this Englishman. He gets, he, gets, uh, um, he gets shipwrecked onto an island, and he gets captured by these little people, and these little, little people start, ex- they start examining him and studying Gulliver. Who is this Gulliver guy? So what they notice is that Gulliver keeps consulting his pocket watch. And he keeps looking at it and looking at it. And the conclusion that they come up with is that this is his god, is his pocket watch. And you think to yourself, well, that's silly. I mean, obviously, we don't think that our, our, our gods are our pocket watches. But think about it. What was Jonathan Swift saying about the Western preoccupation with time? Perhaps that it was a bit of idolatry. Idolatry can take so many different forms, and whenever I think about idolatry, I think about this video, which I'm going to show here, this little skit from the skit guys. But this is, this is very convicting, especially for me. Take a look at this. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Man, I tell you, and I, I love sports. I really enjoy watching sports, and I enjoy being a part of it. And, and sometimes I have to even question, hey, what is idolatry? And, and that's why God gave prophets, because the prophets could look outside of the scenario and could speak into the culture, because sometimes the culture just misses it. In fact, I remember my anthropology teacher, he was talking about, he was a, he was a believer, and he worked with a lot of different um, societies and and I remember him saying that a lot of times the culture would turn to him and they would say, the tribal people would say, is this okay to do? Because they were so used to participating in that part of culture that it had become so ingrained to them, they didn't know if it fit with the Christian faith or not. When we look at idolatry, idolatry takes a lot of different forms. And one of the ways that it took place in Israel wasn't just the, the, the worship of the golden calf, but look at what it says here 
in Exodus chapter 32. Aaron says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And then he said he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So we see that there is some component, some idea of Yahweh here, some idea that this is God, that they're attributing the acts of God, the name of God, to this golden calf. And it makes me wonder what their society looked at in the time of these major and minor prophets. Was Rosh Hashanah, was Yom Kippur, a day uh, that was set apart but also included idolatry, worship of Baal and Ashtoreth as well? Sometimes what's so difficult is that perhaps in this culture, they thought that, that they were fine because they, they, they participated. And it, says, it also says in Hosea that they still had sacrifices. They still swore to the, on the name of the Lord, but yet had this intermingling of idol worship. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, to, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Israel's idolatry, I think, primarily had three components to it. First of all, it had the adaptation of pagan gods and practices, which we see and which it's been noted. Secondly, there was a mixture of Yahweh worship and Yahweh theology with false pagan theology as well. And notice the other thing. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In other words, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. There was a lack of knowledge and concern for the one true God and the one true faith. Because of their idolatry, because they were looking for these false things, these things that did not exist, their unfaithfulness led to dissatisfaction. In Hosea chapter 4, God says, I will punish them, both of them, for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord. All of their efforts, all of the things that they wanted, how, how terrible must that have been to try and try and try and try so, so hard to succeed at things and yet to not be satisfied, to work and work and work and still have an empty feeling at the end of the day. Because of their unfaithfulness, it reduced and produced a culture of crime. In, in verse 2 we read, there is only um, cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish in the sea are swept away. The root cause of sin against man, which they just struggled with, is a failure to love as God loves. A lot of people give me grief for living in Glen Burnie, which, uh, which I affectionately call the burn. 
And, <coughs> um, and it's funny because now that we live there, you've always said, I'll never live in Glen Burnie. And then we live there, and it's, it's really not so bad. But, you know, the other day, the other day, I was, we were driving, um, we were driving from the yard, and we noticed that there was police tape around the building where we have, uh, where our dentist is. Turns out there was a murder there in that, in that office building. And I thought, man, this is a little close to home. And, you know, we've been talking to our kids about, okay, well, we'll, we'll allow you to go down and play at the playground. Well, the other, we just read that there was a, a 12-year-old walking from that elementary school, school where the playground was who was almost abducted by a guy. And it is terrible. And then Analia's bike gets stolen. And, and I'm like, I don't like the burn anymore. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> And I think we, you know, we become accustomed to what we're comfortable with. I remember when we were headed to Turkey, um, someone had said, well, why are you going to this place that's so dangerous? And we were like, we live in the most, one of the most dangerous countries in the world. But we're used to it. We're accustomed to it. It, it, it makes, we feel at home. We know what streets to go down and what areas like Glen Burnie to avoid at night. <laughs> at least some of us do. Um, but God says, look, the, your, your place is, is, a, is a problem. It, it's so bad, I won't even go there. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Everything is bad, and it needs a prophet to speak into the culture that's used to it, that's accustomed to the problem. But the root cause of sin, the reason why that people do these things to other people, is simply and profoundly because they fail to love as God loves in 1 John chapter 4, John says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. And the word that he uses here is agape. In other words, he, what he's saying is, if you want to love like God, you need to know God. If you don't experience that type of love, how can you give that type of love to other people? So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, that's so profound because think about how God loved the church. He ripped apart the triune relationship in order to pursue us and to save us. And what he's saying to husbands is he's saying, he's saying, pursue, love your wife like I loved you. But you can't do that if you haven't experienced that type of agape love. So Israel had a problem, and their problem was that they failed to love God, and thus they failed to love each other. Israel's unfaithfulness was evidenced by the absence of godly fruit. If you go through this chapter here in chapter 4, there's a perpetuation of evil. There's the destruction of the homeland. There's a loss of the justice system, a loss of a sense of morality, an erosion of truth, a loss of what's real. When the priests sin, there's a loss of holiness and consecration. There's a lack of satisfaction. There's slavery into prostitution. There's an ignorant culture, a society filled with adultery, stubbornness, shame. And when he says at the end, when he says a whirlwind will come and sweep you away, I don't think that's necessarily a threat. I think that's an indictment of just how frail and eroded the society had come that just a whirlwind would come and everything would fall apart. And I think we look at this, and, and I, I sort of want to issue a word of caution, because we look at this, we could say, 
That looks a lot like our society, right? But Israel is different than our country or any country for that matter. Israel is God's chosen nation, their people. America or whatever other country you want to substitute there is not. The church is God's chosen people. We are called out of our society and we are called to be like God. We are invited into his presence. We're invited into his eternity. And so we can look at this and and we should look at the church in this way and say, is this, are these systematic of our church? And not just our church here, but our church as a whole. And that's where we should be concerned for repentance. Israel's unfaithfulness honestly perpetuated a culture of unfaithfulness. Sin perpetuates sin. So in Psalm chapter 7, the psalmist writes, Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they've made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. In other words, there was a cycle of problems, a cycle of sin, a cycle of unfaithfulness. And who would break that cycle? Who could possibly step in and say enough is enough? When would that happen? Because all of Israel's unfaithfulness continued to result in unfaithfulness. Well, this is where God comes in. Because accepting God's mercy and his love was the key to breaking the cycle of unfaithfulness. In chapter 6, we read these beautiful words. Now, throughout this passage in Hosea, there's different people talking. There's uh, Hosea talking. In this passage, we see God talking. In chapter 6, we see Israel talking. Look at what they say. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And then there's another change here in voice. And God responds to this beautiful passage from the people of Israel. This is what he says. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. How refreshing and how beautiful is your love, Israel. It's just too bad that when the heat of the day comes, it's gone. The problem with Israel is that they didn't own God's love. They didn't own the fact that they were God's chosen people. They, 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 they were aloof. They were off pursuing their own desires because they, at the core, didn't have a love for God. But only God breaks that chain. And we see it through later on in the scriptures as Israel's taken in captivity and they return back to him. In the same way for us, our unfaithfulness does not lead us to faithfulness. Our unfaithfulness leads us to the cross because it's here that God demonstrates his love for us. That even though we were unfaithful, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. He pursues us like Hosea pursued Gomer, like he loved her 
like he never let her go. So this morning, as we close, let me invite you to turn your heart to the Lord. And no matter where you've been, no matter what this week has looked like for you, these moments of being with Jesus are moments to turn our heart to him. That if we just focus on our own strength, we focus on our own weakness and our own failures. But when we focus on God's eternal love, when we own it, it speaks to us and it rescues our heart. So feel free to pray right alongside with me this morning. Jesus, I admit my weakness. I confess my sin to you. You know what it is. Ultimately, God, it's a sin of a failure to love you like I should. So, God, I I pray that you would help me to own that love. That you would remind me today that I am your chosen loved one. I am an adopted son or adopted daughter in your kingdom. There is no condemnation for me. There is no indictment for me. There is a letter of adoption, a birth certificate into your kingdom. So God, help me to own that identity that I am your son, your daughter, called by your name. Help me to realize your love Because I know, God, I can't love others without experiencing your love for me. So, Lord, help us to do this. Help us to experience your love more and more. To walk in your goodness and your mercy. For you are a gentle shepherd longing to lead your flock. We thank you, God, for your love, for your grace and your forgiveness in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.